Hello and welcome to a Tuesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rappé. He's Chris Danziel. Chris, it got a little hairy there at the dunk, but Nova was able to gut it out, come out with a win to go 2-0 this past week and move up in the polls. They are now number eight in the AP Top 25. There wasn't too much movement, which feels a little surprising considering how unpredictable the polls have been over the last, like, what, 11 weeks? Yeah, this whole year has been pretty unpredictive. And uh, the fact that this week of all weeks in the middle of January, you think where some movement would start taking place, it's been status quo. Yeah, there's not really too much that changed around here. Most of the movement was in the middle towards the bottom of the poll, but the top 10 for the most part is exactly the same. And looking at the Big East Club, you only have Seton Hall at number 10 and Butler, who is now at number 16 after taking that loss to Nova and a scare from Marquette. They're now at 16. And then in the receiving vote section, it looks like it's only Creighton, who's right there on the bubble as the receiving votes section leader. It would have been cool to see them maybe creep into the top 25 before Saturday's matchup with them. But because they're not in the top 25, that means Rutgers holds on for another week, baby. Number 25. That's all that matters. Yeah, two weeks in a row, back to back. After 41 years, they're coming back to the top 25 with a splash. Even after losing to Iowa, too. Yeah, they should have won that game, too. They were uh, in it to the very end, bitter end. It was like a one-possession, two-possession game. But they pulled out a win against, I believe, I forget. Actually, I forget who it was, but they had hit a, like a last-second shot to win. So, yeah, great time to be a Rutgers fan, I guess. Yeah, I don't know what the attendance is looking like at the rack, but I guess Rutgers is now basketball school. Because the football program is nowhere near what it used to be. No, no, that that is taking a significant, significant fall from grace. <laughs> they are... Oof, they're real bad. So let's look back at Saturday's game. Always a fun one at the dunk. And by fun, we mean nail-biting, a little tight, close. You know the Providence fans, they always get up for Nova. Ever since that Ryan Archie Diacono controversial, ticky-tacky, 50-50 foul that led to the game-winning free throws in that Big East tournament semifinals in 2015, they have been more than salty when it comes to playing against Villanova. And then you have Chris Dunn for a couple of years lighting a spark under that. And then a lot of other close gutted out matchups, whether they be in the postseason or at the dunk or wherever they may be. It's just been always a fun, fun time for the Friars and their fans. Even though most of the time Nova's come out on top, Saturday was no different as Villanova hung on for a 64-60 win over Providence. You had Colin Gillespie leading the way with 18 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists. Jeremiah Robinson Earl coming in with 17 points, a quiet three rebound performance, which it's got to be pretty rare, but he did have three steals, which is nice. Sadiq Bey coming in with a 13.9 rebound performance. And then off the bench, Justin Moore with 10 points, a couple of three pointers. He also had three rebounds and a steal. And then on the Providence side, you had Nate Watson, who was just a big boy down low. He shot 7 of 12 inside and finished with 18 points and 9 boards. He also had a steal. David Duke Jr., not an ultra-efficient performance, shooting 4 of 16 on the floor, but he did have 11 points, 10 boards for a nice double-double with two steals. And then Lou Wayne Pipkins coming off the bench, the UMass transfer. He had 11 points and 4 boards. Chris, there was a moment where I thought Villanova was actually going to pull away and slaughter the Friars, especially when it became like a, a 10 to 12 point game. But that's not exactly what happened. What were your impressions of 
this fire game. And it looks like Dunkin' Donuts Center will continue to make us worry a little bit. But at least Nova came out with a win on Saturday. Yeah, very thankful they came out with a win. If it wasn't for Providence going 0 for 10 from beyond the arc in the second half, Villanova probably doesn't win that game. If Providence realizes that Nate Watson was probably having one of the best games of his career and actually fed him the ball instead of taking all those threes, Providence probably ends up winning that game. But they didn't. So you got to give props to the defense, I would say. I I thought overall, defensively, it was a great effort. I know turnover-wise, it was 10-11 favoring Nova in terms of lesser turnovers. But I I felt like Providence had a lot more than that. I felt Villanova's hands were very active on the defensive end. So I was pretty proud with that. I will say a few of those three-pointers by Providence were open, but I guess that's just going to happen. And the one downside to, I guess, I don't know if it's really, you would classify it as a defensive thing, but they allowed 16 offensive rebounds to Providence on Saturday. That's not good. That's, that's actually horrific, especially when you're only grabbing two of your own. You got to get those extra possessions and you're losing that turn, that battle by 14. That is a significant margin and you should be thankful you ended up winning that game. I mean, like I said, Nate Watson was a beast on the boards. He grabbed six offensive rebounds. AJ Reeves as a guard was grabbing three offensive rebounds. There was like a stretch there where they had three offensive rebounds, like back to back to back. It was just a very weird rebounding game from Villanova. Usually not one we would expect, but I think there might be a reason for that. And we will probably talk about that later due to a certain injury. But offensively, it looked fine, looked pretty okay. And then at the end, it just became very lackadaisical, long stretches again, where it was just nothing was happening. They forced a lot of shots, I felt like. A lot of the threes were contested. It just didn't seem smooth after a certain point in the game. And I'd say maybe like after five minutes into the second half when Providence started making their little bit of a comeback. Individually, I thought Colin played a great game. He had that sick pass, nutmeg pass to, I believe it was Jerry on the fast break to basically seal the game at the end there. I thought Colin played pretty well. JRE had a great game offensively, and I know you noted he didn't do much on the boards, but offensively I thought he did really well. I even thought Justin Moore had a pretty good game overall. He did miss a couple front ends of one-and-ones at the end, which kind of was a bit frustrating because you could have really put Providence away. But uh, overall from the field, I thought he did pretty well. And I know Sadiq Bey dropped 13, but I think this is his, back, this is his second game in a row where he's kind of faltered a bit from inside the arc. He hasn't really done much outside of shooting threes, which, you know, is fine. I'm perfectly okay with him hitting threes, three of eight on Saturday. But I feel like he's got to create a little bit more inside and he just hasn't been able to hit. And then, of course, I think a lot of chatter this week is going to be about Jermaine Samuels and his potential injury. Yeah, it's not looking too hot for Mr. Jermaine Samuels. He left, as everyone noted, in the middle of the Providence game, tried to come back at one point, didn't really do all that much. He only had four points, zero boards, zero assists, a turnover, 22 minutes of action. And then after the game, Jay Wright was asked about what is Jermaine's status. And according to our guy, Ryan Bowman, who was covering the game for us over there on the road in Providence. He said that Jay said, quote, something with his arch. He tried to come in the second half and just couldn't jump, so we had to keep him out. And then, of course, the V-Hoops detectives, they're so great. And rumors start flying around and this and that. Apparently, Jermaine Sampas has been sighted on campus in a boot with crutches, and that's never a good sign. And also just the nature of the injury, like the arch of your foot, that's not necessarily something you can just 
playthrough, you're going to be feeling that every step of the way. No, no pun intended. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I actually did not mean that. But you're going to be feeling that all the time. You can't tape it up. You can't just take painkillers for that. It's not like a you know, tweaked ankle. It's not like a tweaked wrist. That's a tough injury to have in sports. I really hope it's not too serious, but we got the walking boot and the crutches. I can only pray. I can only pray, but his status is not looking too hot for the St. John's game. There hasn't been any official statement from the school yet, which could mean a number of things. Hopefully one doesn't come out. Usually for more serious injuries or more long-term injuries, the school would have some sort of statement. Nothing yet, so we can only pray. He needs to be healthy. The rebounding effort took a significant hit, and also the I think the offense took a significant hit too without him in there. I, I do think the offense and the defense can both operate without him in there, but it's just not going to be as good. And you're going to see an expanded role from Slater, whether you like that or not. And you might even see more DCR minutes for the first time in God knows how long. So you're going to expect these guys off the bench to step up if he is out long-term. You're going to need Antoine to maybe get thrown into the fire a bit. I I don't know what exactly you'll do to kind of mitigate his uh, potential injury, however long it is. Also, just one more thing I wanted to highlight. I kind of missed in my ramblings before. Alpha Diallo was benched. That was awful. (laughs) <laughs> that was a horrific performance <laughs> by him. So you know what that means. He's going to drop 30 next game against Villanova. But I, I think that's a testament to the defense. I, how many times last year did we say that this team is very good at shutting down the lead guy? And even this year, it's been, I would say, pretty good. If you look back against Butler, they shut down Kamar Baldwin for, for the most part. I know he got his, but it felt like he was pretty much a non-factor all night. So Alpha Diallo, 0 for 6, only played 14 minutes. And Cooley sticking him to the bench was pretty impressive. Yeah, I think more people are starting to buy in to the defensive performance that this team has shown, especially recently. Over the last month or so, it really looks like the team is starting to get it and get those concepts down. And it's really shown in the box score. It's really shown on the court. And just look at the shooting percentages. Providence only shot 31.7%, which is not great. But the only reason why the game was so close was, as you mentioned earlier, the second chance points and the offensive rebounding. 16 offensive rebounds is, like you said, a lot. And they got shattered on the boards, 45 to 33. Sure, Jermaine Samuels' presence was definitely missed. But Jeremiah Robinson only getting three boards didn't really help. It looked like Nate Watson was really bullying us inside. David Duke also had a double-double. But those offensive rebounds turned into 19 second-chance points, which is a lot. Yeah. Even if you take away half of that, Like, this is a completely different game. But because Providence was just so relentless in fighting on the glass, fighting for the boards, they were able to stay in it. Sure, the shooting percentage wasn't great, and that's a testament to Villanova's defense, but the rebounding, that was was real tough. That was a real tough scene on Saturday. Because of the rebounding, they got 15 more shot attempts than Villanova on the day. Regardless of what you're shooting at, percentage-wise, like, eventually those those extra 15 shots are going to fall in. Some of them are going to have to fall in, you would think. So... Because of that, like, yeah, like you said, that, that's the reason why it was close. And also, Providence, 0 for 10 from deep, 3 for 23 for the whole game. I get that Villanova didn't shoot that great either, and that was a little rough when the offense dropped off in the second half. But if you're Providence, you had Nate Watson, 7 for 12 on the floor, eating inside. The three-pointers weren't dropping. I get that some of those looks were very open, like wide, 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 wide open. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this game could have been so much more different if Watson just got – they just fed him a little more. And also if Diallo d- decided to not disappear. But, you know, Ed Cooley, I-, I like his 
message there and benching his star there for not performing. Yeah, almost. I feel like if Providence wins, like that, that's like the storyline, and it proves that you know it rallied the team or whatever. But yeah, they they should just kept feeding Watson inside. It was actually kind of ridiculous. I was like, oh, Providence wants to shoot another three. Cool, please. Yeah, please yeah, do. please be, be please. my guest. <laughs> Roll out the red carpet for him at that point. I mean, the way they were going, it was a really bad day for for everyone involved. And then the other thing I want to point out before we move on from this game was, yeah, you know, I loved how Colin played. He was great. He was awesome in running things and also grabbing boards himself. No one else was grabbing boards. Him and Bay. So he to get his hands dirty a little bit. But we had Gillespie and four fouls. More with four fouls. You know how many minutes Brian Anton played? I'm going to go with zero. Yeah, that's correct. Zero. Yeah. And seeing how the rotation went out, we saw more Slater minutes, more more minutes. So ideally, with Samuels out, this would probably mean more minutes for Antoine, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. It looks like Jay's setting with the seven-man rotation here. I'm kind of shocked that they're not even working him in at some point. We were speculating back in like October when he was to be healthy that you know, they work him in slowly but surely, and then the next thing you know, like February rolls around, he's ready to take off. Like you said, I don't know what he's going to do with this Samuels injury if he is actually injured. And wherever, however long it is, he's going to have to trot him out there, you would think. No? Or do you not think that? I am all for playing the five-star McDonald's All-American. I get that. Oh, oh so am I. I'm just saying yeah. think the guy who actually, you know, whose decisions matter will. Oh, no. Oh, no. See, that, that, yeah, that was going to be my next point. Oh, no, it's not, it's not changing. <laughs> it's not changing. Yeah. yeah. Brandon Slater, welcome to the club, pal. Good luck. God bless. I don't know if this will mean more DCR minutes either. He did have four against Providence. That's four more than he's usually having lately. Jay Wright had that telling quote in, uh, I forgot, I think it was an article by Mike Jensen, where he was like, I'd rather roll with a shorter rotation than have too many good players. And I'm just like, wow, this explains so much. So much. <laughs> wow. I, yeah, I didn't even know he said that. That's um... Granted, it's worked. I mean, yeah. you know, worked for him, worked out like a charm. Yeah. And then last year, Not we so saw much. the shorter rotation. Mm-hmm. Like it's just his way. It's just Jay's way. Yeah, that's how. That's how it's gonna be. Yeah, but, but with Samuel's, depending on how long he might be out for, it would be interesting to see one more guy in. I hope so. A win's a win. Always good to get one on the road, especially in such a tough place like Providence. And the crowd was more than hostile. It sounded like on Saturday. They just hate Nova. They just hate Nova so much. Even my friend from Providence. We're like pals, and then all of a sudden it's Providence week, and he's just like, "Yeah, you guys suck." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they um, they've been chomping at the bit for a big time win against Villanova for a while. They had their opportunity in 2018, and yeah. they they could have won that. They probably could have should have won that, but yeah, they had the yeah they had the win at the dunk in 2018, and then we had that overtime thriller at the Garden, which is probably one of the best Big East tournament games I've watched since conference realignment. And mm-hmm. Nova had the last laugh, and then they went on and just steamrolled all the competition in the NCAA <laughs> tournament. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy. It's the toughest postseason game was Providence in the Big East tournament. Mm-hmm. Tyron Cartwright, man. It's amazing what one player can do. Yes, yes. And a lot of Providence fans are missing him, too. I don't know if you saw this, but he tweeted out to the haters. It was just kind of like, oh, when I was at Providence, people were like, Oh, you're never going to be Chris Dunn, like blah, blah, blah. And then now that I'm gone from Providence, oh, we miss you, Chiron. And I was like, all right, all right, buddy. All right. I understand. I understand. <laughs> Ooh. 
That must have been really bad. <laughs> we'll say I personally did ask him a Chris Dunn related question the first year after Chris Dunn left, and he just looked like he was ready to put me through a wall. Way to go. <laughs> I'm glad he didn't, Eugene. I'm glad you're here to live to tell the tale. Sure, he, he got asked that question a trillion times that day. Like, oh, now that Chris Dunn is gone, like, how are you going to step up to the task of being a leader? <laughs> Shame on you, Eugene. You should have known better. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. We, we had our last laugh in the Big East Tournament Finals 2018. That's true. With him missing the game-winning, potential game-winning shot. Yeah, yeah. That was a real fun run for Providence to watch. Upsetting yeah, the way into the finals. Yeah, he was must-see TV for that stretch, for sure. Villanova was able to get the win on Saturday, and now because of that, they have a date tonight with the St. John's Red Storm at Madison Square Garden. And I don't know if people are planning to go to this game or not. I don't know if it's going to be well attended. I mean, I would think it would be because it's Villanova at New York City, 6.30 tip-off, so it's like after work. But I went on StubHub, and I was shocked. This is probably the cheapest Villanova tickets I've ever seen, which is why like more people should go. But they were selling the first few rows of the 200s middle court for like 35 bucks, 40 bucks, And usually it's like double that on the weekends. Yeah, remember when we went last year? Like Those tickets were uh, not cheap. Not that cheap. Yeah, we were close to 90, and we sat towards the corner. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Great time, great time. Great time, except for, you know, the game thing that kind of happened. I almost bought Club Silver tickets for tonight. It was like $86. You could sit Club Silver, which is like (laughs) row 12 or something like that on the 100s. You should have done it. I should have done it. I should have done it. There's no harm in doing it. Yeah, but then I, I thought about it, and I was like, oh, Club Silver, would I be just surrounded by a bunch of St. John's fans? Like, is that what I want? Is that what I want in my life? <laughs> Eugene, you're the professional troll here. I think I think that's exactly what you would want. Yeah, let's be honest. The St. John's fans, they stopped showing up. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're it's, it's, back, it's back to normal. It's back to normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they got the St. John's Red Storm, which – it's funny because like DePaul and like a couple of these other Big East teams that we're starting to see as conference play unfolds, it was all about, oh, look what they're doing in the non-con. Wow, they're turning it around. They beat West Virginia. They beat Arizona. Oh, man, once conference play starts, they're going to be a threat. And now we have St. John's who's coming in 13-8, and 2-6 and six in Big East play, and their only Big East win so far have been against DePaul. Just like DePaul, for all that hype, all that hoopla going into conference play about, oh man, look out for this team. It's not really come to fruition yet. But I will say, with Jermaine Samuels hurt, this is a looking like potentially scary game considering the athleticism, the speed that St. John's likes to work on. And also, they have a real coach, Mike Anderson. He did a great job in non-con play. He used to be figuring out this Big East thing, but he's been... 50 times better than Mullen. Like, there were a number of these games in non-con play, particularly the West Virginia that comes to mind, Arizona one, where if it was last year or Chris Mullen era time, they would have choked that one away. They would have choked those away. Not this year. Yeah, he seems to be writing the ship a a bit. I mean, as you mentioned, pretty good non-con slate for them, and nothing was expected from them at all. I mean, they had a lot of transfers out last year and into this year. Basically a whole new roster, it feels like, at least compared to last year. Um, just to highlight some guys real quick, LJ Figueroa, uh, one of the mainstays for St. John's, he's averaging 15 points per game, five boards per game. From the field, he's shooting about 30%, 36% from beyond the arc. He's really good. He's He was a pain in Villanova's side last year. Obliterated at, Nova last yeah. year at the God, Garden. I'm, God, dude, dude, I still got PTSD from him just being wide open, like on the wing, like no one covering him. It was just absolutely brutal. He just wrecked 
Villanova last year. Watching that double-digit lead just absolutely disintegrate. (laughs) Slowly but surely. (laughs) Oof. Yeah, really bad times. I'm actually shaking thinking about it. Then you got Mustafa Heron, 14 points per game, shooting about 40% from the field and 38% from beyond the arc. Then you got a transfer I want to highlight. Rasheem Dunn. He's from St. Francis, Brooklyn, coming in with 12 points per game, four boards per game, three assists per game, leading assist getter for St. John's right now. And he's shooting about 36% from the field. And he is a guard. Just thought I would mention that. And I also want to mention one other guy. I don't know if he's going to play a lot, but he seems to be playing a good chunk now. And that's Marcellus Burlington. And I only mentioned him because he is a Don Bosco Pro graduate, my alma mater. He's averaging about eight points per game, four and a half boards, and shooting about 49% from the field. Yeah, and also don't sleep on Julian Champagny. Not only does he have a great last name, but he is a local product. And one of their freshmen who was pretty under the radar going into college, but around the New York City scene, he was a pretty big deal. Went to Bishop Laughlin, had a great career there. And then I don't even think he was ranked. I think he was like no stars on 24-7 sports. But he ended up going to St. John's, almost went to Pitt, followed his brother there. But he went to St. John's, has been very productive so far for them. He's been in the starting five, averaging 8.4 points, six rebounds per game. Kind of like a, a versatile type of player. They like to use him as a small ball five sometimes. Other than that, he can play guard or forward. And could be someone to watch out for. Not really a big three-point shooting threat, but he is a great finisher and one of the better ones inside on this team. So certainly keep an eye out for him. And Josh Roberts, he has improved from looking like nobody on a Chris Mullen St. John's team. But it looks like Mike Anderson has squeezed out a lot more worth and potential from him. And he's been playing a lot better off the bench. Chris, this St. John's team, I learned last year. I don't even remember what the preview was like, but I'm pretty sure it was like, yeah, it's St. John's. They've crushed them already. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're doing bad. They're probably going to crush them again. But now with German Samuels hurt, and it is a Tuesday night game. This is a St. John's team that's two and six in Big East play. They've only beaten DePaul. I don't know. This one, might be, this one might be a little tougher than I feel like it should be. Even with or without Jermaine Samuels, I felt like this game was going to be close because that's just the way all the Villanova games are going right now. It's winning ugly. And no matter what happens, it always seems to be a couple possessions here and there each game. I don't feel good about this. Do I think Villanova will pull it out, though. I, but I am very, very scared. Much more so than a usual 2-6 and six team in the Big East would scare me. It's just the fact that it is on the road, middle of the week, one of your best players is potentially down, not good at all. Yeah, just so people are clear, this is St. John's team. They love to run and gun it. They got all the athletes. Even though Shamori Pons is gone, Heron and Figueroa, those guys were excellent for them last year. They have a lot of speed, a lot of different players that they now utilize as opposed to Chris Mullen being like, all right, Shamori, it's your turn. Time to shine. Time to do it. They are one of the fastest moving teams in Division One basketball right now. Top 20 in tempo, according to Ken Palm. And also, they're not a great offensive team, but Mike Anderson has brought that Arkansas toughness over here. And they've been doing it, and they've been getting the job done through defense. Probably one of the best turnover generators out there right now in college basketball, creating turnovers in over 23% of opponents' 
possessions, which is good for top 20 in the country. And also, they've been great at limiting their opponents from the three-point line. And just inside, their, their interior defense has gotten a lot better than from what it used to be last year and in recent years, but they've been especially great at locking down a three-point line. Not great at scoring. I mean, their main guys have been Figueroa and Heron. So as long as we keep those guys in check, which ideally Nova would, because it looks like, as you pointed out earlier, Chris, they've been doing a great job in keeping the top guys pretty quiet on opposing teams. So you're going to have to make a, another guy beat you, whether it be Dunn, Champagne, or Erlington, whoever it may be. But you got to keep those two guys in check. And I think Nova will, considering how they just obliterated us last year at the Garden. I think it might be close, but I think Nova should win. I know that Ken Palm has it 73-71, to 71, with Nova as a 57% chance to win. I think it's going to be a little more than that. I think Nova wins by seven. But I would not be surprised if it's a tight one for like the first 35 minutes. I, I'm going to go a little lower on the score. I think it'll be like 65 60 Villanova again like maybe yeah something along those lines these two teams are very are improving defensively I mean St. John's like you said is really good defensively 44th in Ken Palm right now and if you're looking for a Big East comparable just overall it's Providence and Providence just gave us one heck of a game on Saturday so yeah it's definitely going to be a close game if Villanova goes in there and blows their doors off without Jermaine Samuels I'll be very very impressed but St. John's, this team is not going to just let Villanova walk all over them. At least I don't think so. LJ Figueroa won't stand for it. Neither will Mustafa Heron. They're too good of players to let that happen. So expect the grind it out battle. Probably not a lot of scoring. And uh, yeah, I, but I do think Villanova ends up winning, though. Yeah, even though Big East play has been tough, it really does look like that this St. John's team seems a lot more cohesive and they seem a lot more bought in to their coach. Mike Anderson seems to be bringing in the right philosophies and things like that. Hasn't really translated yet so far in conference play, but it's all about baby steps. They had a great non-con showing, struggling to find their way, but there is still about half. We're, we're still at the halfway mark for Big East play, so you never know. They can get hot, turn it around down the stretch. Hopefully it doesn't start against Villanova, but if you can't make it to the Garden tonight, the game will be on at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time. You can catch it on Fox Sports 1. I'll definitely be watching. Chris, hopefully we get this win. I hope so, too. Who's your player of the game, though, real quick? Before we wrap it up. Colin Gillespie, the man that's got to be able to control the floor. It definitely helps when he scores buckets like he did against Providence and grabs rebounds. But against a, a high-flying, fast-moving St. John's team that is great at creating turnovers, I know that Villanova's been taking pretty good care of the ball recently. They're going to need to keep that up. They can't give them extra possessions. So I'm going to go with Gillespie. I'm going to go with Sadiq Bey just because I feel like he's got to get out of that slump somehow. I'm only playing off a hunch. And I think St. John's is a good team to go up against them with. I don't know if anyone on St. John's is going to be able to match them. So hopefully he can break out of it. Shooting's been great. And he's definitely been scoring, grabbing boards, the finishing. Yeah, he's got to definitely step up in that, that category. Normally, this would be the time of day where we stop what we're doing and pop open the mailbag and answer the question that you, the listeners, have there for us. But we actually want to take this moment and give a huge nod and just pay respects to Kobe Bean Bryant. Absolute goat. Absolute legend. From someone who played right down the street, basically, from Villanova at Lower Marion. I get that Radner's the enemy, but Kobe is no enemy. And he had one of his iconic performances in a playoff game at the Pavilion, which is pretty cool that he got to play there. Granted, I'm sure we all would have loved for him to be in the blue and white, but we had to settle for an excellent high school performance, which was just a preview 
of what was to come in the NBA where he absolutely became a legend. Sure, it was with the Lakers, but I think no matter what and no matter how you felt about the Lakers in the 2000s, mid-2000s, 2010s even, you always rooted for Kobe. And I don't think that there wasn't a single kid growing up that, whether it be on the blacktop, whether it be in the classroom, throwing a ball of trash into the trash can, you shout out Kobe's name. Before Jelly Fan, before LeBron, before Overtime, before all this hype, everyone loved Kobe. Did the Kobe, whether it be a fadeaway, it was just, the man was iconic. And so we would be remiss if we did not pay respects to Kobe, rest in peace, to the legend with his daughter, and also the various people that were also on the helicopter, the seven others with him. Very, very tragic. I did not believe the news when I saw it. I thought it was one of those things that was a hoax. When you started reading more of the stories and you saw the news footage, it was just, it was surreal. It was surreal. Very sad. Very sad for sure. Yeah, it's incredibly sad, especially knowing that his daughter was with him. That's just absolutely heart-wrenching. And then you had another kid on the plane too with her parent. Just absolutely gut-wrenching and awful. And I feel so bad for all the families involved. And like, I know Kobe's been the center of it, but just like, you imagine like Vanessa Bryant right now and like those kids, like his other daughters, just like, how do you deal with that? It's just absolutely, I, I can't even begin to imagine. It's making me freak out right now. Um, yeah, it's just absolutely tragic. This is probably the biggest celebrity death that like our generations have to deal with, Eugene, I would say. I mean, I know Michael Jackson was like a pretty big deal, but like, we didn't grow up with him. Um, I would say athletes-wise, yeah. yeah athletes like Sports-wise, yeah. It's definitely Kobe. I mean, I remember our senior year, I think you watched the game with me where we watched Kobe's last game, and yeah. he was just getting fed the ball. Like, that was that was four years ago. Like, that seems like a, like a blink of an eye ago. And – Yet and now he's just gone off the face of the earth. It's just freaking tragic. I didn't believe it either. It's just like one of those things. It's just really hard to process. Everyone seems to be really broken up by it because of the the impact he left on, you know, just everyone. Yeah, and he also went beyond basketball. Like you know, this guy got an Oscar. Such a great ambassador for the sport. Was very into the WNBA as well, and also passing on his legacy and passing on his knowledge to the younger generation. Very tragic with his family. Like, I, I couldn't believe I, – I couldn't imagine because I'm sure you've seen that video. I think everyone has at some point, one or another, on social media where it's like him and his daughter talking courtside about the game of basketball. Like, I think everyone's seen that video at least once. And then now, after all the details were ironed out, that video hits a little differently. A lot differently now, I should say. A lot differently. Yeah, it certainly does. And, uh and just trying to help out his daughter, bring her to her own basketball game. And yeah, just uh, freaking awful, awful. Yeah. Thoughts are with the Bryan family, the Altabelli family, the Mauser, the Chesters and the Zobian family. Rest in peace to everybody involved in that tragedy. It was just a real sad Sunday. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening to the state of the Nova nation. Please subscribe to the podcast. Just look for View Hoops or State of the Nova Nation on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Megaphone. you got many, many options. Please follow the show. Check back on the site. Check back every day, all day. We're going to try to have Jake Offman tonight at the game covering for View Hoops. So join the recap for the game thread. And also, please be sure to follow View Hoops on social media. It's good for Ad View Hoops whether that be Twitter or Instagram. And please follow me, Eugene Repay, at eRepay5. And I got nothing. Follow Eugene, follow the pod, follow the Hoops. Nova Nation, let's get this win tonight. Go Cats.